Well, I want to add my welcome to Rowan's. My name is Austin. I'm one of the ministry apprentices here at Auckland EV. Now, I'm just coming to the end of my first year of the apprenticeship, and God has really used this year to grow me and challenge me in many different ways. But I have to say one thing that really stuck out to me is how powerful God's Word is as He works by His Spirit. So why don't we pray that God would open our eyes and convict our hearts as we hear His Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can have this opportunity now to gather together and hear your word. And we pray, Father, that you would humble our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see what is written in here and realize how amazing it is that you would speak to us. May we come away from here more and more captivated by your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Progress. It's one of those things in life that we like to see. Every one of us likes to make progress. Perhaps it's progressing in your career, or maybe it's progressing in a skill. One of the things that fascinated me from a young age was playing card games. I played a lot of card games growing up, and one of the things that you have to do in playing card games is you have to shuffle the deck a lot. So I remember when I was a kid and I saw my aunt do a riffle shuffle on one of the card decks uh, for the first time. And that's when you split the deck in half and you take the two halves and you uh, weave them together. I looked at that and I thought it looked and sounded amazing. And I was like to my aunt, you have to teach me. Now, the entire process of a primary-aged kid learning how to ripple shuffle a deck of cards, uh, it really meant that a load of cards started flying everywhere. Uh, you might even say I progressed in the skill known as 52 pickup. Uh, but eventually, I reached the point of being able to ripple shuffle an entire deck of cards. And I was super stoked. I remember I just kept shuffling the cards again and again and again, uh, much to my aunt's annoyance. Um, but now, I don't have to think twice about shuffling a deck of cards. I can just shuffle them naturally. We enjoy making progress. Now, the flip side of that is we hate being stuck. And I think we hate being stuck more than we enjoy making progress. One of the things that frustrates me most in life is being stuck. And there are different types of being stuck. I remember when I was young, I got stuck in a wetsuit once. Not a great experience. Uh, but there are other types of being stuck as well. The most frustrating kind is when you're trying to move forward in something, and no matter what you do, it seems like you can't take a break. It seems like you just can't move on. And for me, one of those times was in 2015, when I had mild depression. Some days it was totally fine. And other days, the darkness just didn't seem to go away. My life was punctuated regularly by negative thoughts and emotions, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of guilt. And I still remember the frustration of trying to move on, of trying to break away, and thinking I was all right. But the next day, the next week, the next month, I was not all right. I was still there. We get stuck in so many areas 
of life. But I have to say, the, most, the worst area of life to get stuck in is your relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever thought about how your relationship with God is going recently. You may feel anything from, it's going great, to, who is God? Is your relationship with God stagnant or just as bad, growing more distant? Well, what we'll see today in 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul telling his protege, Timothy, the most important way we don't get stuck and the most important relationship that we can ever have, the way to move on is to not move on. Now, that might sound weird, but hopefully as we look at God's Word, we'll see what I mean. So come with me to our passage in 2 Timothy as we look at what Paul has to say to Timothy and to us. If you're following on in your outlines, this is the second point, faithfully following despite persecution. Come with me to 2 Timothy 3.10. It should be up on the screen. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. We see here that Timothy followed Paul's life. He followed Paul's teaching, conduct, purpose. He even followed Paul's attributes of faith, patience, love, and endurance. And all of these things, they seem like really good things to follow. Until you read verse 11. should be up on the screen. But you, Timothy, have followed all these things along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And suddenly, Paul's life doesn't seem so attractive. On top of the other aspects that Timothy was following of Paul's life, he followed Paul's persecutions. And in each of those instances that Paul mentioned, he was proclaiming the gospel. He was following God faithfully. He was following Jesus as king. And yet, time and time again, he was persecuted. He was driven out by the Jews, and he even got stoned and left for dead. But Paul did not give up. Paul endured through it. And we read that God rescued him from all his persecution. Now, clearly this doesn't mean that God snatched Paul away from all of his persecution. After all, he got stoned. No, what this means is that God gave him the power to endure the persecution, knowing that God will ultimately rescue him in the end through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I don't know what you're thinking through as you're sitting there, but I know for me as I'm standing here, I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad I don't have to go through that. And then I read verse 12. It should be up on the screen. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. A life of persecution doesn't just apply to Paul. It doesn't just apply to Timothy. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not exactly the most encouraging statement, is it? I mean, is Paul serious? But isn't this what Jesus taught as well? 
Look with me at John chapter 15, verse 18. It should be up on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I've spoken to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. For those who follow Jesus, we follow a master who was hated by the world and who was crucified by his own. Now, it's not like every Christian across the world has the same level of persecution. And living here in New Zealand, we're not exactly at risk for being killed for our faith. And yet, there's still a cost for being a Christian. So earlier on this year, I was out shopping with a friend. We were going to Dress Mart, uh, and I decided to take a seat in the store because I was tired shopping, and he was going on trying out some clothes. And this old lady came along and said if she asked if she could sit next to me. And so I, I said yes, uh, and we ended up having a great conversation. We talked about how our day's been and what we do. And I remember telling her, I told her that I had just finished a PhD in applied mathematics, and now I'm doing a ministry apprenticeship for church. I remember her look. She just looked at me so surprised, and she was so incredulous, and she said to me, really? Don't you want to be doing something that actually uses your PhD? And before we could chat about it more, uh, my friend ended up finishing uh, buying clothes. And so I got up, said goodbye, uh, we're going to leave. And I remember what happened next. As I was walking out of the store, the lady actually called out across the store, and she said these words. Don't worry about church. Jesus can wait. And as I walked out, I couldn't help but feel a little upset and shocked that someone would call out across the store and say those words. And there I was, walking away from the store, ridiculed in a passive, aggressive way for choosing to do a ministry apprenticeship instead of being an academic. But really, can Jesus wait? Or does the fact that Jesus is king mean that we can't help but speak? that we can't help but live our lives radically for his glory and proclaim his name. What is it for you? As you seek to live a godly life, how are you counting the cost of being persecuted? Perhaps you choose to not take part in the workplace gossip and your workmates single you out as being weird. Maybe your family has shunned you because you follow Jesus, ridiculed you, cut you off. Or maybe it's just being known as the faithful Christian, and suddenly you're the target of people claiming that your views are from an outdated old book. Paul says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that will mean that life is hard at times. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to let God grow you. And the old saying is true, no pain, no gain. 
2 Timothy, it's one of Paul's last letters. And Timothy was Paul's protege, someone whom Paul loved and trained. Paul deeply wanted Timothy to keep progressing in the Christian faith, to keep trusting in Jesus. He was for him. So he told Timothy about the persecution so that it doesn't take him unawares when it comes. Have you heard Paul's warning? Persecution will come to you if you follow Jesus. Are you ready? Make no mistake. It will come for all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. God's plan for us isn't comfort, at least not in the way that we think. It's not a cruisy life. It's to follow Jesus. And that path includes persecution. We're not asked to escape persecution, but to endure persecution so that we might be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. Not to get stuck in our broken and sinful ways, but to depend on him. But the real question is, how? How on earth do we do this? I mean, life can already feel so hard at times. How can any of us keep making progress in our relationship with God, knowing that will only lead to more persecution? What we need is God's Word. We need to remain in the teaching of the Scriptures. That's the next point in your outlines. And at first reading, it seems obvious, right? But it's actually quite profound. Look with me at verse 14. It should be up on the screen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. The encouragement for Timothy is to continue in what he's learned. And what is the thing that he's learned? We'll see later on in verse 15 that it's the sacred scriptures. And Paul says to Timothy, continue in these. Now, that particular word that Paul uses to Timothy, continue, it actually carries this meaning of remain or abide or stay. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, those people who don't love God, they move on. They advance to being worse. But you, Timothy, you should stay. Remain in the scriptures. Don't advance. Don't move on from these. And what we'll see is that these are scriptures which never change and yet always change. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's take a look at the first part, the scriptures which never change. Or to put it another way, the content of the Bible, God's word, never changes. Look at what it says at the end of verse 15. The sacred scriptures are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the sacred scriptures that Timothy learned when he was young were the Jewish scriptures. It was the Old Testament. But I don't think Paul is limiting the word scripture to simply just mean the Old Testament, but also the teachings of the apostles. And there are a couple of reasons why I think this way. One, like we saw at the start of our series in Acts, Jesus specifically authorized the 12 apostles to be his witnesses. 
And Paul himself also received authority from Jesus to be an apostle. And later on in Acts, he was confirmed by the other apostles. And as the early church gathered, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So that's number one. Jesus authorized the apostles to be his witnesses. But number two, we see examples in the New Testament where passages of the New Testament are referred to as Scripture. Take a look with me at 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. It should be up on the screen. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Do you see that? As they also do with the rest of the scriptures. It's like someone saying, uh, Austin must be good at arithmetic, just like the rest of the mathematicians. By saying just like the rest of the mathematicians, the person saying that statement is saying that I'm a mathematician. But you get the picture. Paul, uh, Peter attributes Paul's writing on the level of Scripture. So when Paul refers to Scripture in 2 Timothy, it's more than just the Old Testament. It also encapsulates the entire apostolic teaching, what we now know as the New Testament. And it's these Scriptures, Paul says, are able to give wisdom for salvation. They're able to show people how to get saved. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And isn't that what we all want? Salvation. It's built into every single one of us. The desire to live life and to live life to the full. Well, Paul is saying to us all that the way that we find that is in the Scriptures. They do more than just give us the knowledge of how to be saved, but also the wisdom the ability to apply knowledge, to be saved. This is how we make progress in our relationship with God. But how can we trust this statement? What if I told you that the way to get wisdom for salvation is to listen to Lady Gaga? You just wouldn't believe me, right? It's crazy. So how can we believe this? It's because the scriptures come with the very authority of God himself. Notice the beginning of verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired here, uh, it's not about drawing inspiration from a piece of art or from nature, but about breath. So literally, Paul is saying that all scripture is God-breathed. As we read the Bible, we have the very words of God. This is God speaking to us, a book about God by God. And God has written this book. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is written by human authors. We have Paul, Peter, Moses. But with the human authorship is also divine authorship. And people call this idea of the Bible dual authorship fully written by God, fully written by man. And so if God wrote it, 
then it carries the authority of God himself. Which is why the Bible never changes. Because God never changes. His plans and purposes have not changed. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, the entire arc of the Bible, and indeed God's plan is to bring him glory through drawing sinful mankind to himself by the, resurrection, the death and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no other way to attain wisdom for salvation other than through the scriptures. But while the Bible never changes, it always changes. Come again with me to verse 16 of chapter 3, and we should see it here. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see what I mean when, the, when I say that the Bible always changes? It always changes you, the readers. As we read the Bible, God, by his Spirit, teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. And notice what begins verse 17. It says, so that. And whenever we see that, we see that the author is giving us the outcome of what he's saying, the reason for the previous statement. Scripture is useful for all these things so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The totality of that statement, it's striking, isn't it? I mean, really? Being complete? Equipped for every good work? Exactly. That's exactly right. Scripture is enough. Scripture is sufficient. No one can, no one can say that God hasn't revealed enough for us to be saved or to live a life pleasing for him. No one can even say that he hasn't given us enough resources to get unstuck. And yet so often, we can act and live life in such a way as if the Bible was not enough. We wonder whether the Bible is really able to help us solve our deepest problems. And we wish for new and more direct ways to hear from God than slowly reading the Bible. But the way to progress in our relationship with God is to listen to his word. God's word is enough to live a godly life. And if this is true, then we should be incredibly amazed at how we have the Bible so easily accessible in our lives. We have a whole range of translations, hundreds of design options. We even have the Bible on our phones. You can see it up there on the screens, wherever it is. And yet, there are times when we go days without dwelling on God's Word and meditating on it. If this truly is God's Word to us, then how exciting is it that we can hear Him speak to us every single day? How crazy are we to not listen to Him? Friends, as the culture of this world keeps driving us away from God, we won't find ourselves drifting towards God's word, only the opposite. So we need to be intentional with how we let God's word dwell in our hearts. So read the Bible. 
hear God's voice. If you want him to change you, to grow you, to help you endure, you have to listen to him, to his voice. Read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible with those who know Jesus and those who don't. And here are three useful applications that we could all try. All beginning with the letter R. The first one is something that you've already heard. Number one, read. Actually open your Bible. Take the time to read it. Take some time to look over your typical week and set aside the time to read the Bible. Make plans on what book you're going to go through. It really helps when you reach the end of a book to know where you're going next. And if you're stuck, there are so many Bible plans online. And you can even sign up to our very own daily Bible reading plan on your Connect Cards later. Or perhaps you find it hard to actually know how to read the Bible. In your outlines, you would have received a bookmark. And on one side, there's this thing called the seven arrows of Bible reading, which has seven helpful questions to ask as you read the Bible and try to unpack what it has to say. But maybe it's just hard to read the Bible. And I know there have been those days for me when I just feel tired, I don't feel like I can open the book, or I don't have time to sit down and read. But in those times, I've loved listening to the Bible audiobook on my phone, uh, even playing it on the radio of my car. It's about hearing the Word of God regularly, whether that's on your own or with others. The New Testament church would have nearly always heard the Word of God with others. They didn't have Bibles written down back then. They just had letters and other scrolls, maybe. But they would have heard it with others, recited it together, read it out loud together. Do whatever helps you hear God's Word. So number one, read. And number two, remember. Take some time to memorize some of the Bible and let it sink into your heart. So earlier on in this talk, I mentioned that I had some mild depression in 2015, and I remember several times in my life when I was feeling down and depressed because of my sin. And suddenly, a verse that I memorized come to me, comes to me, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Just a small plug to come along next week for a secure summer series as we look at the amazing truths of Romans 8. But how amazing is that truth, right? I can say to the lies in my head, get out of here. There is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. How powerful is that truth? It helped me to correct my view of me to God's view of me. I literally heard God's voice because it was in my head as I remembered uh, the scriptures. You, want my, you might want to try by memorizing um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Or maybe you want to try a whole passage like Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, plumbing the riches of how you're saved by grace alone. Memorizing the Bible really helps us to store and treasure God's word 
in our hearts. And I know for me, as I've memorized verses, passages, even entire chapters of the Bible, the priceless value of doing that has shown itself time and time again in my life. And I encourage you, try it out. Number two, remember. And finally, number three, recall. Which may seem similar to remember, uh, but what I mean here is that so often we can read the Bible in the morning and then totally forget about it the rest of the day. But try to take some time to recall what you read in the morning and meditate on the scriptures. Maybe at lunchtime you can skim through the passage you read in the morning and chew over the ideas that struck you. Or maybe you're more of an external processor. You could talk about what you've learned with someone else or ask questions that you have about the passage, whether it's in person or over Facebook Messenger or over text, whatever it is. Either way, as you recall the scriptures throughout the day, you let the truths within really dwell in your heart. So that's read, remember, and recall the word of God. And where does that leave us? As you look ahead to the new year ahead of us, how will you progress? Friends, even as the world around us changes and progresses, as certain views held by the scriptures, such as having marriage only between one man and one woman, as they are challenged by the world, let's be people of the word, who despite persecutions, remain in the teaching of the Bible, which never changes. Not adding parts to the Bible, not cutting out parts of the Bible, no. We stand firm in it, knowing who authored it, that it makes us wise for salvation, that it never changes, and yet always changes those who read it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word. It really is so amazing that every day we have access to hear your voice, hear what you have to say for us, hear your plan for our lives, and have wisdom for salvation. And Father, we confess that we don't listen to you as much as we ought. But we pray, Father, that in the next few days, in the next week, in the next year, would you help us to be captivated by your Son through reading your word, and might we come away from reading your word, being transformed more into his likeness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.